Bread is the foundation of our daily meals. It's the number one food. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Tuesday, December 12, 2017. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today on the show, I talked to John Christian about the Christian Twitter bots trying to sell him t-shirts. And Sarah Aswell makes the case for kinder reality TV. Here's the dispatch. The future. Twitter bots are everywhere. And when your last name is Christian, a very specific kind of bot seeks you out. That's what writer John Christian found last week when he uncovered a small homegrown network of Christian Twitter bots out to sell him knickknacks online. So, I mean, this is the first time I've heard about the Christian botnet, but maybe, John, you could walk me through how you first got exposed to Jesus bots. Sure. So the other week I got followed by a bunch of um, a bunch of people on Twitter who were big into hashtag Christianity, hashtag uh, Jesus Christ. And this by itself isn't unusual. My last name is Christian, unfortunately, so I, I get occasionally get followed by religious accounts. Um, but what I noticed about these particular accounts was that they only, and I mean only, posted things that were retweets of either like the same two popular um, Christianity-themed accounts or alternately relentless links to this one obscure online tchotchke shop called McLaughlin Gifts. Um, and when I went through to, to McLaughlin Gifts, to their Twitter account, and checked who was liking or retweeting its post, it turns out there was always and almost exclusively the same 40 or so accounts, a few of which had followed me. So I pulled up a, a new spreadsheet and made a list of the Jesus bots, and um, and and we went from there. I think we, we um, uncovered this little boutique um, botnet, which appears to exist for the for the sole purpose of, um, of of plugging one online store. Well, tell me more about McLaughlin gifts. What do they sell? What are they all about? So it's a they've got a this McLaughlinGifts.com, and then they also run online stores on Threadless and Redbubble and, and Zazzle and the the other the other stores in that space. Um, beyond that. We could find. I, I couldn't find very much at all. It seems to be run by a woman named Heather McLaughlin. In light of that, the the um, social media management company that's run by Darren McLaughlin seems to have some significance, but I couldn't find anything about the um, the relationship between those two people. Um, it's unclear whether it's a, a a thing that's been going on for years or if it's just some campaign that they were planning to run this holiday season. Uh, uh, to me, it, it it remains a mystery. And how easy is it for a business to get an army of bots to do their bidding on Twitter? Uh, there are certainly places on the internet that say they can get you an army of followers. Um, although everything about this one sort of seemed like it was done in somebody's living room, like the uh, you know it was only it was very small. Like they weren't they weren't buying millions of followers. They they seemed content with just forty or so. And the the way the accounts were filled out just sort of seemed like an out of touch person's idea of what Twitter is like. So here we go. Here's Tommy Torino. Uh, his profile reads, let's do this. Big hashtag t-shirty lover, hashtag tees, hashtag hoodies too. It says that he lives in London, New York, and Tokyo. And his feed is just uh, McLaughlin gifts. Here's one with a cat on it. It says, have a very hashtag tabby, hashtag Christmas. Um, 
His next retweet is also McLaughlin Gifts. It says, get your merry hashtag Christmas pillows with a, a, an emoji of a gingerbread man. Here is Peter McDonald. He is a hashtag Christian, so expect posts about hashtag Christianity and hashtag Jesus Christ. He's not perfect, but he is saved. And the last few things that he tweeted were McLaughlin Gifts. It's a hashtag party time, everyone, hashtag clock. Uh, then, then he posted a, a link to a cute hashtag monkey and bananas cotton tote bag, also by McLaughlin Gifts. Then, uh, then he threw in a link to Christianity Today, Bible Time, and then he was back to McLaughlin Gifts again. It, it really just cycles through the the same the same three or four types of content, um, as far as I can tell, endlessly. What are some other things that the bots tweeted about? They they'd occasion a few of them had a little bit more personality. They'd say um, sort of fictional sounding things about their lives, but for the most part, um, they were just absolutely relentless in in just retweeting the same two Christianity related accounts. It was Bible Time, which posts like uh, biblical verses, basically, and Christianity Today, which is one uh, seems to be one um, publication about Christian themes. And for the most part, if you looked at their output, um, they they were they were just absolutely relentless in boosting those two organizations. Which my read was they were uh, that was just a, a a bid to look somewhat authentic, so that they weren't only tweeting this this other this small business that that sold um, apparel and and pillows and things like that. Does any of what these bots are doing amount to spam on Twitter? I think so. Um, and Twitter may agree with us. We reached out to Twitter for comment. We sent them the the data showing the, the, the botnet. And they didn't say anything on the record, but the next day the accounts started to um, to disappear. Um, so I don't know. One of the things that, that, that struck me was it, it seems so obvious, like – couldn't there be some way to have an algorithm that like, at the very least would flag someone who's posting like 3,000 times in 24 hours? I mean, isn't that just way outside of the normal usage? And you could sort of look at those and make sure they're not doing anything underhanded. But um, it doesn't appear that Twitter's doing anything really proactive about that. So we had one source, Finn Brunton, an assistant professor at NYU and the author of Spam, A Shadow History of the Internet. And he pointed out that from the point of view of a of a of a um, company that's, you know, reporting back to its shareholders, bots are kind of the perfect customers. They 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 use the platform relentlessly. They're totally enthusiastic about it. They make it seem as though everybody else is a little bit more popular because they're boosting their uh, their their follower counts and maybe interacting with with their content. So there's not really an, um, there's not really a strong motivation for platforms to be proactive in finding in um, finding botnets, which is one of the sad things. So they're just sitting there as you know your nice little Christian Jesus bot family. I guess so. <laughs> um, it's impossible, though, reading their feeds, it's impossible to imagine how these accounts are adding any value to anyone's life anywhere. Someone might follow them because they don't know how to later unfollow them or something, but there's, you know, they're, they're creating no value as far as I can tell. I think that's the bottom line. John Christian is a contributing writer at The Outline. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Culture. 
bakers. That's one hour to dip those Jaffa cakes. One hour! There's a shift happening in reality TV. Wild, salacious shows like Real Housewives and Big Brother are being supplanted by milder, friendlier shows like Great British Bake Off. It holds together well. The chocolate's quite thin as well on that one. Mm. And Japan's Terrace House. <laughs> Sarah Aswell wrote for the outline about seeking tranquility in this new breed of nice reality TV. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So what is the appeal of a show like Terrace House? I think that our reality has kind of changed recently in that the real world is scary and overwhelming. And to turn on a show like Terrace House is to escape from this world into a reality that's simpler and more relaxing and more pleasant. What's the premise of Terrace House? Um, Terrace House sounds like a lot of house reality shows that we have in the United States. It's six young people uh, in their 20s who live in a house together and interact. The reason it's different is that they've sort of taken away a lot of scaffolding that the American shows have added over the years um, to get more exciting and dramatic plot lines. So the people in Tara's house keep their jobs, they keep their friends, they keep their phones, and they're not competing for anything. They're just living life. It's just more real. Which is kind of the antithesis to a show like The Real World, which when that came out, it was supposed to be this revolutionary concept where you force people to live together and crazy stuff's going to happen. People are going to argue with each other, and that's the point of the show. So, I mean, is it interesting to watch people do nothing? It is so strangely interesting to watch people do nothing. I I almost can't explain it. You kind of have to watch it. But, for example, um, a lot of the show is just them sitting on couches and having conversations about normal things, you know, Harry Potter, what they're going to eat for dinner. There's two people in the house who kind of like each other, and they decide to go on a jog together. Ready? Mm. Okay. And it's just so boring. Like, they talk about when they're free for a jog, and then later on they talk about what they're going to wear on the jog, and then what time, where they're going to go after dinner, they have to postpone the jog. And then they go on the jog, and that also is boring. Wait, so how long is this taking up? Is this like an entire episode, basically? <laughs> it's like a, I would say it's a half of an episode. When you finally get to the point after the jog, there's a, a really warm moment. They're sitting in the grass. It's raining on them. And they just have an intimate moment where you can feel the atmosphere around them and they feel it too and they know it's a special moment and they decide to go on a jog again later. And that's, uh, it's a beautiful moment. It's a real moment that happens and they connect with each other and they're crushing on each other um, and it's exciting. Talk to me about Bake Off. What separates that from other competition-based shows? 
again, they have the same formula as a ton of shows that we have um, in the United States. But everything else is different. Okay, Bakers, one hour until the silverback of sourdough is unleashed from his pen. <laughs> um, it's super low budget. It all takes place in one big tent, and you never go anywhere. The judges are super nice. Now, this looks smooth. They have that nice dome, which they should have. Yes. I mean, they can be critical, but it's always in a really polite way. It's very close textured, and when I squeeze it, it stays down. Mm. But it tastes great, and the sauces are pretty good too. And everybody's just trying their best. And is this a trend, like these new, nicer reality TV shows? Yeah, I think that it is getting picked up in the United States in a lot of ways. One way that I can tell is if we look at like um, singing talent shows, like if we compare American Idol from many years ago to America's Got Talent today, it's just gotten way nicer. Like the old American Idol, you've got the, the judges saying super mean things. Because you're right, that wasn't dreadful, but it wasn't horrible. It was absolutely ghastly. It was really that bad? Worse than you think. Um, compared to today, where it's just this feel-good atmosphere of, like, somebody finally making it. Honestly, I never think I'm going to be surprised or amazed by people. And then you turn up. And with, I mean, just the fact that you are you, but it was your voice, your tone, the song was beautiful. Even shows like Real Housewives, um... They're not setting up drama like they used to do. They're more focusing on, you know, the female friendships and relationships instead of manufacturing these plots or putting their characters into situations where they know that they're going to get upset. Do you think that takes away from the appeal of what reality TV has been for for so long in America specifically? Yeah, I don't think that happy, boring reality TV is going to take over reality TV uh, in the United States. But I think it's going to be a a new offering. Like, it's going to be something else that you can select um, when you're feeling like it. And I think more and more people feel like it. Sarah Aswell is an essayist and humor writer living in Missoula, Montana. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. That's all for this episode of The Dispatch. You can catch us here, as always, every Monday through Thursday. And we'd love to hear what you think of the show, so tweet us at Outline Dispatch or leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. I'm Aaron Edwards. Thanks for listening. Adrian Jeffries will be here tomorrow morning.